Welcome to Northgate Christian Fellowship's weekly message series. And now, here is Senior Pastor Ken Jensen. He was the visiting rabbi on that particular Sabbath. He'd been gone for a while. Now he was returning to the town where he had been raised. And so at synagogue, as was the custom, he was handed a portion of scripture to read. A scroll. It's from the prophet Isaiah. And Luke, the gospel writer, tells us that unrolling the scroll, he found the place and began to read. The spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim the good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight to the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then he rolled up the scroll, handed it back to the attendant, and sat down. And Luke says, every eye was on him. And he said these words. Today... This scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. And the response was electric. Scripture says they were amazed. They were astonished. They said to themselves, isn't this Joseph's son? (laughs) This is incredible. We know this kid. Good little Jesus. He grew up right among us. And he reads the scripture and he says, today... It's fulfilled in your hearing. And it says, they all spoke well of him until he continued to speak. And as he spoke, and they continued to listen to his words, suddenly that good favor changed. And instead of being astonished and amazed and speaking well of him, they became irritated. They became furious. They became so angry that they drove him not only out of the synagogue, they drove him out of town. They chased him far out of town to the cliff, the edge of a cliff and they would throw him off it if they could have. But he just walked away from them. Now never in my 30-something years of preaching have I ever had that kind of a response to a sermon. <laughs> there was something about this Jesus that was different than any other teacher, any other rabbi. No one was ever, had ever been like him, and no one has been like him ever since. In this series we're beginning this morning, we're going to be taking a deeper look at this rabbi, Jesus. And he is a, he is, he's a fascinating character. No one has had such impact on our world. And every time I read and study the life of Jesus, I am changed. <laughs> because he has that impact on us. You read his life and you read his teachings and you, and, and you begin to understand a little bit more of the culture and the people that he's speaking to and you realize it's just like me. I need to hear these words because they are transformational. This morning we're going to talk about the Jesus who calls us to follow because that's what he did. And long before he called his very first followers, he announced his mission. And then he said, now follow me. So in the next couple of weeks, we're going to be looking at that, beginning this morning with, what does it mean to be a follower of Jesus? 
I think first of all, the very first thing you've got to do if you're going to become one of his followers, you need to understand his mission. He made it very, very clear. Before he called his first disciple, he said, this is what I am about. The Spirit of the Lord is on me because He has anointed me to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he finished that whole sermon with these words, Today the Scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Now everybody sitting in the synagogue that morning knew what he was talking about because it was a very, very familiar passage of Scripture. It was Scripture from the prophet Isaiah, chapter 61. And it was known to be a messianic prophecy. This was the coming of Messiah. This is what it was going to look like. This is what God's kingdom was going to be like when Messiah would come. In fact, that very word, he has anointed me. That word anointed is the same root Hebrew for Messiah. Messiah means anointed one. The word, Hebrew word is mashach. Say it with me, would you? Mashach. Now you got to say it like you're kind of clearing your throat, okay? Mashach. The word Messiah is Mashiach. When he is reading the scripture and then he says, today it's fulfilled, in your hearing, he is saying, I am Mashiach. I am Messiah. I am the one that you have been longing for. Messiah, the one who was going to bring about God's kingdom. No wonder it stirred such a reaction among the people. Who is this guy? Isn't this Joseph's son? <laughs> Don't we know? I remember when he was just knee-high to a grasshopper and used to run around here off to church, you know, and just mess things up. No, he wasn't. He wasn't just Joseph's son. He was the kingdom bringer. And what does his kingdom look like? He says, this is what the kingdom is all about. He has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight to the blind and release for the oppressed. That's the kingdom. That's what the kingdom is all about. It was his mission. It was to the poor and to the prisoners and to the blind and to the oppressed. Nowhere in scripture does the kingdom of God described as a ticket to heaven. Nowhere. And yet somehow we have so much reduced it to just that. The kingdom is like life insurance. Just in case, so when I die, I know I'm going to go to heaven kingdom is much bigger than that. Now, don't get me wrong. I believe very much in eternity, and I'm longing for that day. But Jesus made it clear, kingdom is not something way off somewhere someday. Kingdom is here and now. And the kingdom looks like this. Preaching good news to the poor. Proclaiming freedom to prisoners. Recovery of sight for the blind. Release for the oppressed. The kingdom bringer brought a kingdom that is far, far different than what we sometimes make it out to be. Billy Sunday, very, very famous, um, well-known preacher in the early 19th century. Well, about mid-19th century, early to mid. And, and he would often say, suppose you walked out of this building tonight and were hit by a trolley car. Do you know that you would go to heaven? And that's a good question to ask. But I think a better question to ask is, suppose you walk out of these doors this morning and you don't get hit by a trolley car. What will your life be like? Because that's kingdom. It's about redemption of the whole person. And historically, it has always been understood as such by the church. 
I don't know if, how many of you have seen the movie yet, Amazing Grace, it just came out last weekend. It is based on the life and, and, and of, of William Wilberforce. Now, if you don't know William Wilberforce, he's an important historical figure because he was the prime mover in Great Britain for the abolition of the slave trade. You know why he took on that project? At the urging of his friend, John Newton, who wrote the song, Amazing Grace. John Newton had been a slave trader. He bargained in people's lives. It was a horrible, horrible business. And he was a horrible, horrible man. And he really meant it when he wrote those words that saved a wretch like me. And he came to Christ. He understood he couldn't do business like he had done business all of his life. Something had to change. And he became a prime mover in this abolition of slavery. And William Wilberforce, who was a member of parliament, who was actually retiring, urged him to get back and to fight this fight. Because if you are a Christ follower, you cannot stand idly by and watch people's lives be sold for pieces of silver and sold into slavery. You must do something about it. And that has been kingdom work. Kingdom work is about rectifying injustice and and reaching to the needs of the hurting. It is not just getting my ticket to get into heaven. That's what Jesus said. Kingdom is so much bigger than that. Luke 4, 43, he said, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to other towns because that is why I was sent. Mark 1, 14, the time has come. He said, the kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. It's life-changing. And it's not far off in the future. Sometime when I die, it's here. The kingdom of God is near. It's available and accessible to you and to me. But you've got to change. Because the kingdom is all about life change. This morning is Benevolent Sunday. And when you come and you give food items and and, and make contributions of food cards, that's kingdom work. And this evening, Bread of Life, our SO Caris Group sponsors, going and feeding the hungry in Vallejo, that's kingdom work. And when we pool our resources together, And we have now raised our goal. In fact, we've raised over our goal. We have raised $23,000 to sponsor a whole village in Uganda. That's kingdom work. Because kingdom work is to the whole person. And we do all of it. Not to the exclusion of any part of it. It's all part of doing God's kingdom work. It's what Jesus did. And I just got to say to you, church, good work. (laughs) Now, we got a lot more we can do and a lot more we must do. But good work so far. It's doing kingdom work. It's understanding that when we love people, we are bringing God's kingdom to this earth. When we match our message with acts of mercy, we are doing kingdom work. Jesus said, understand the mission. This is what I've come to do. And then next thing is, then start taking on his ways as our own. That's what it means to be a follower. See, Jesus practiced what was called, what you might call the be with strategy. 
He chose followers to come and be with him. Mark 3 says, He called those who he wanted, and they came to him, and he appointed the twelve, that they might be with him, and that he might send them out. Now, that was a very, very common rabbinical practice. That's how rabbis taught. Kind of an, an apprenticeship program, where you would come, and you would spend time with the rabbi. And you would do life with the rabbi. And you would listen. And you would observe. And then you would do. It was learning by doing. Listening. Observation. Doing. That's how rabbis worked. It was an apprenticeship program. Now, now long before I thought I was going to be a pastor, I was an apprentice once. I was an apprentice carpenter. And, and there was a foreman that I worked for. Actually, my dad was the owner of the business. Foreman's name was Hokan Lyro. A good Norwegian name. Mr. Miyagi, he was not. <laughs> Hogan was one of those guys, he was a hard worker, he was a fast worker, and you better keep up with him. And if you weren't pushing the broom right, he would take it from your hands and he would show you, now this is how you sweep a floor. And then he'd give it back to you and say, now you do it. And the whole first summer I was an apprentice. My job was digging trenches, sweeping floors, and nailing off plywood. I hated carpentry. <laughs> But I spent summer after summer and then working through college. And I watched and I learned and I did. And eventually, I became a journeyman carpenter. <laughs> See, that's what rabbis would do. They would take followers and they would have them do life together and say, now watch and listen and do. It was an apprenticeship program. What was uncommon about Jesus, what most rabbis did not do, in fact, very few, if any rabbis did, was he chose his followers. See, it was, was quite different. To be a servant or a disciple of a rabbi was big stuff. That was like the highest calling you could have in Jesus' culture. And, and, and trying to become apprentice to a rabbi, to become a disciple of a rabbi, that was, not, that was hard work. You had to memorize the Torah. In fact, you had to memorize the whole Old Testament by age 14 or you weren't even considered. And, and, and it was like making an application to a prestigious university in our time. And here comes this rabbi and he chooses. He picks his followers. Most rabbis, it would be beneath their dignity to do that. You make your application, I'll look over the applications, I'll see if you're worthy. Jesus went... He says, I choose you. I choose you. Come follow me. That was very uncommon. But he chose them to become kingdom bringers. I understand a little bit more about the background of his time. There were a number of groups that were very, very interested in the kingdom of God around Jesus' time. And they all had different ideas about what this kingdom would look like and how it, how it, came up, how it would come about. There were the Pharisees. Many of them were the teachers of the law. You, you find that very often in the New Testament, that the Pharisees and the teachers of the law would come to Jesus to quiz him and to test him. They believed that strict adherence to the law was the means by which we would usher in the kingdom of God. There were some that were even more extreme than the Pharisees, if you can believe that. They were called the Essenes. The Essenes completely withdrew from society. In fact, the only way we know about them is, you've heard of the Dead Sea Scrolls? from the Qumran community and the, by the Dead Sea. That's where they came from. They arduously wrote down Scripture. And they believed that the way to usher in the kingdom of God was not just to be, live, live purely, but to live purely alone and separated. 
And that if we got holy enough and if we were pure enough, that would bring about the kingdom of God. The other extreme from the Essenes were the zealots. The zealots believed in attacking. <laughs> they, they were kind of the guerrilla warfare for the kingdom of God idea. Because the Roman oppression had become so great that they said the only way to usher in the kingdom of God is to overthrow the Roman rule. And so they practiced kind of a guerrilla warfare. And they were, they were into attacking and, and violent overthrow of the Roman oppression. And then there was another group who were kind of just, they were kind of just in between everything. They were called the Sadducees. Now the Sadducees actually didn't believe in the hereafter. They didn't believe in the resurrection. So they believed the kingdom of God was all about getting yours here and now. In fact, the Sadducees were some of the wealthiest people in society. The Sadducees were actually part of those who were in charge of the temple tax. When Jesus went in and, and overthrew all the tables and all that was going on there, Sadducees were behind that. That's why they were so mad at him. And their, their kind of way, it was, you know, well, you, you, you go along to get along, you know? They were the ultimate collaborators. And it's like, well, just kind of blend into society, make life comfortable. There's a good payoff to that. We'll just kind of get what you can while the getting's good kind of an idea. And it's among the, all of those kinds of people that Jesus picks followers. He picks a zealot. He talks with a Pharisee named Nicodemus. And these people become his followers. And out of this whole group and mix of types of people and everybody's looking for the kingdom of God, he starts teaching them. And in the Sermon on the Mount, he says things to them like, you are the light of the world, a city on the hill that cannot be hidden. Now, who is he speaking to there? He's speaking to the Essenes. The kingdom of God is not by withdrawal up into a little community of all yourselves, taking yourself out of society. He said, you're a light of the world, a city on a hill. You can't be hidden. And to others, he says, if someone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Now, it was called conscription. And what any Roman soldier could do was at any time in the way, if he was kind of tired of carrying all of his equipment and gear and backpack and everything, he could just pick anyone that he wanted and say, here, you, you carry this for me. And you were required by Roman law to carry all of his equipment for a full mile. And Jesus says, if he asks you to go one mile, go with him too. Who was he speaking to? Anybody want to guess? The zealots. They wanted violent overthrow. They wanted to attack the system. And he said, no, the answer is not attacking. And to the Sadducees, he said, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. To the Sadducees, he says, God's kingdom isn't about comfort and collaboration. To every one of these groups of people, he had something to say. So how is the kingdom of God going to be ushered in? If this is the kingdom of God and this is how it's not done, how is it going to be done? Jesus said, I tell you, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. How are we going to bring about the kingdom of God? We're going to love them in. We're going to love them. And Simon, the zealot, <laughs> when a soldier forces you to go one mile, you go too. And Nicodemus, Pharisee, you follow. You're the light of the world. You can't withdraw and be hidden. See, he calls us because the kingdom of God is not just about the end. It's about the means as well. And he says, you've got to adopt my ways. You love them. You love them. To understand his mission is to discover our own. 
to take on his ways is to answer his call. All that's left is the last thing, which is follow him then wholeheartedly. You'll follow him with all your heart because kingdom work takes our full attention. Jesus said, no one who has put his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. Chances are nobody in this room has ever plowed a field. But if you've ever mowed a big lawn, you know, the way you get a straight line mowing is you keep looking far off in the distance and your feet will keep moving in the same direction in a straight line, believe it or not. And that's what he's saying. This is too important to just be half-hearted in it. You can't be doing kingdom work one day and then take a break the next because it's a wholehearted following. All of our focus, all of our thoughts, all of our energies. Kingdom business takes our very, very lives. He said those who love their life in this world will lose it. But those who care nothing for their life in this world will keep it for eternity. Anyone who wants to be my disciple must follow me. Jesus' teaching caused people to do drastic things. He called them to do drastic things. And James and John, who were in a family fishing business, left their dad and the nets right there by the side, and they followed him. And Matthew, who was a tax collector, gives up a very lucrative business as an accountant and follows him. And Mary takes a very precious jar filled with expensive perfume and breaks it open and pours it on his feet dries him with her hair and washes him with her tears. And Zacchaeus, who is also a tax collector, says, I will give back half of my resources to the poor. And if there's anybody that I have cheated along the way, I will pay them back four times over. (laughs) When Jesus called people to follow, it was drastic stuff. It wasn't half-hearted. It was full-time. Why would they do it? Why would they do such a following? Why would they leave everything behind and follow him so wholeheartedly? Because they found in him and in his words and in his mission the the answer to their deepest longing and need. They really believed that he knew what he was talking about. They really believed that if this is kingdom work, I want to be on board of it. I want to be with the program. And the very same Jesus that put such high demands also said things like, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls. Don Everts has written a book called God in the Flesh. And he talks about this following. He says, not everyone is called, excuse me, What is crystal clear in the gospel telling of these stories is an undeniable sense of awe and epic abandonment. When Jesus is in the room, treasures and lives and careers have a way of getting flung away. Social customs and etiquette and decorum have a way of dissolving into nothing. What do you do with such a man, such a Messiah? A carpenter with such obvious holiness and brilliance and authority and power and mercy and divinity and love and beauty, you abandon all for him. The clear vision of Jesus takes over your heart and soul and body and you find yourself living differently. Throughout history, it has been those who seem really impressed with Jesus, really taken with his holiness and power and beauty, who end up living their lives of reckless, joyful abandon for him. Not everyone is called to leave his or her vocation, of course. Our reckless abandonment 
should look as varied and as unique as we are. Leaving a fishing company, cracking open your prized alabaster jar of nard, walking into synagogues to preach about Jesus, caring for the poor in the name of Jesus rather than caring for our own bank accounts in the name of leisure. The call is always from Jesus, and it is as varied as we are. But the response is the thing. When we see Jesus clearly, our own cares melt away, and we will do whatever he says. Jesus told his disciples, a student is not above his teacher, but everyone who is fully trained will be like his teacher. Would you bow your heads with me? So here's the deal. Our rabbi, our crucified and resurrected Jesus, still comes looking. And he says, I choose you. I choose you. Will you follow me? Will you take on my mission? Will you live my way? Will you become a kingdom bringer? And will you do it with all your heart? If you say yes to that call, I promise you nothing will be the same. The rest of your life will be a learning process of following in the footsteps of your rabbi. And he's going to teach you. He's going to show you. And he's going to say, now do it. Changes the whole direction. He says, will you follow if you do you will become a kingdom bringer so the challenge to me the challenge to you this morning is the very same one how will you respond how will I respond he says do it with your whole heart maybe this morning it's a first step for you say okay be in that kingdom I want to be a kingdom bringer and that describes you this morning and you want to take that step of faith I want to pray with you and for you especially so everybody else has their eyes closed nobody's looking around but if you would just look up and catch my eyes so I could pray with you and for you this morning is there anyone? yeah the mission for us beyond our own abilities beyond our eloquence beyond our resources but this morning we offer what we have we give our lives wholeheartedly to you and your kingdom and for each one who indicated that this morning pray Lord that you would deepen that call and that sense of devotion And that you would each day teach just a little bit more what it means to be one of your followers, to be one of your kingdom breakers. And may we as a church be faithful and wholehearted in our call to you. For that, Lord, we ask your strength and your wisdom. In Jesus' name, amen.
Let's stand together. Thank you for listening to this week's message. We trust that you'll join us again soon for another uplifting message from Northgate Christian Fellowship located in Venetia, California. 